powers that be daily pucks podcast focused on the intersection of wall street washington silicon valley and hollywood and the players who run it all i'm peter hamby it's monday september 5th it's labor day which means the end of summer and a summer of discontent inside the world of tv news john kelly is here for media monday to talk about the anxiety inside nbc news and cnn and whether the decline of linear television is finally upon us We'll hear about all that and more on today's episode of The Powers That Be. Quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. So to reduce costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you profit with NetSuite. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash powers that be. netsuite.com slash powers that be. That's netsuite.com slash powers that be. Happy Monday and happy Labor Day, everybody. Uh, We are laboring on Labor Day, aren't we, John Kelly? Feels like labor to me, but the good news is, uh, (laughs) Peter, tomorrow we'll be breaking bread with uh, the rest of the LA-based Puck All-Stars at the Tower Bar. Oh, Tower Bar. I love that. You know, it's funny. When I called the Tower Bar to make the reservation, first thing they said was, oh my God, we love Puck. That's cool. I've, I've actually been wanting to go to Tower Bar with Matt Bellany because... Oh, you'll, you'll I mean, see. we talked about you'll this see. like a few months ago, but like he's like the mater D there. Like I feel like he knows everyone. He does, and in, in, in the whole place, and people are just going to come up to him and be like, "Hey, hey, 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 hey!" I just want to w- watch that in action. <laughs> I think I told him the last time that I was there with him, a like very A list showrunner. His eyes widened when he saw Matt, um, as if uh, as if Harry Styles had just walked into the joint. <laughs> I love that place. For people who haven't been, Tower Bars in West Hollywood, and it's like. You can do like the classy old school martini thing, but it's there's always someone you see. Like I went there one time and like saw Mike Tyson uh, and Katie and I went there over Super Bowl weekend just to like go on a date. And obviously everyone was in L.A. for the Super Bowl and there were just all of these everyone from like random TikTok influencer to like Dennis Miller, you know, (laughs) it's like (laughs) such a funny scene. Anyway, John, it's Media Monday. Let's do this. Dylan posted a piece late Friday called The September of Stelteritis, um, which I feel like is a, is a bit of a narrow headline for what this piece is about, which is Dylan sort of making the point that he's calling it the linear Big Bang. Basically that the decline of linear TV and linear TV news is actually finally here. It's something that's been talked about for a long time. And now we're seeing signs of it in the ratings. Dylan kind of uses some talent questions at NBC around Chuck Todd, CNN's decision to remove Brian Stelter. We just heard on Friday, John Harwood, probably more coming. And it's like people in the media and media sort of conversation are sort of looking at these things through a very narrow lens. 
Can you just summarize this piece in your words, Mr. Editor? <laughs> I think that there are the linear Big Bang is is a uh, you're right. That's perhaps a better title, and that's that's what we'll call we're calling this episode. I think a number of events have really conspired over the last nine or twelve months that really dictate that the people running these news organizations and you know, networks uh, recognize a couple of key factors, but the simplest of which can just be stated as it's, it's getting smaller. It's not going to grow. And for a decadent ego-filled industry, that is an often shocking revelation. And so think about the data points. Rachel Maddow announces that she's retiring or being paid more to retire. She's not going to be replaced by John Stewart or, or John Oliver, as she would have a generation ago. And you know, she'd be replaced by Alex Wagner, who's making a fraction of the amount of money and they're totally satisfied with uh, a ratings collapse in the most important hour of their lineup. Chris Cuomo gets like sort of character me too'd or something into oblivion and he's not been replaced yet. CNN is experiencing the cost savings and, and it's been reported that they're, they're messing around with all kinds of other inexpensive options. Stelter, who uh, was making a, a million bucks to host a, a show on Sunday, Brian's great, but he's, he's gone. And I think the biggest mini meteorite was the decision by Brian Roberts and Jeff Shell at NBC that that they're considering giving 10 p.m. back to the affiliates, to the locals, that they're going to stop programming that hour. And that is like a straight up, holy shit, big deal moment. And I think I've, in my own Freudian way, and I don't mean this narcissistically, I've often uh, said to you, as someone who started their career at the beginning of the end of the magazine industry, like I have seen this movie and there are so many things that are going to come next that once seemed inconceivable, Organizations will be matrixed. Staffs will be shared. When I was a kid in short pants working for Graydon, I used to have to uh, type out the number of issues that every Vanity Fair uh, sold on the newsstands, then print it, cut it out, and put it on his big board. And then they stopped doing that when it went from like 800,000 people buying Jennifer Aniston to, I don't know if they even cracked six figures now. I, I doubt it. That's going to happen with ratings in cable to the leaders of these businesses were creative people. They thought they could program their way out of any jam. Programming was business. For guys like Jeff Zucker, Andy Lack, Don Hewitt, if you want to go that far back, business was saying, okay, we need Maddow to replace Oberman, right? Business was, Ann Curry's not working on the Today Show. We need to replace her with someone who's more ostensibly likable. Now the people in charge are guys like Cesar Conde. They are Wharton MBA types. And they are looking for other levers at their disposal to make these networks smaller, less ambitious, more profitable, and have a smaller cultural footprint. Chris Licht, who's the man in charge at CNN, it sort of looks like a program on the outside, but he's absolutely calling plays from the, the David Zaslav playbook on the inside. And that is a reduced footprint. And for an, an ego-filled industry, Man, that is a, a tough hill to swallow. Ego filled is is correct. That is what jumped out at me at this Daily Beast uh, piece that came out um, last week that Dylan sort of referenced in his piece, channeling the anonymous blind quotes from inside NBC, like shitting on <laughs> Chuck Todd and like some d bag is like off the record, like being like, at what point does anyone have the balls to say maybe the problem is the face of Meet the Press? said one meet the press source. And it's like, how up your own ass are you to like shit on your own host on background to the Daily Beast and like not step out of it and realize like shifting the deck chairs on the Titanic isn't going to, to help the ratings here. And like, I'm old enough to remember 
when Bob Schieffer was replaced by Katie Couric, which would help the ratings. And then mm -hmm. Katie Couric was replaced mm -hmm. by Scott Pelley, which would help the ratings. And then Jeff Glor replaced Scott Pelley to help the ratings. And then like Nora O'Donnell like replaced Jeff Glor to help the ratings. Dan and Rather ran a third place show. You're totally right. It never worked. You're totally right. The audience behavior has fundamentally shifted in a way that's not gettable. And I think eMarketer did some study couple years ago. Um, Whoa, we're, quote, we're quoting eMarketer here on the powers that be. Well, look, I work at Snapchat, <laughs> so I'm familiar with eMarketer digital marketing uh, releases. No, but you know, our, I, our sales narrative definitely included this at Snapchat. For the first time in 2018, I think, time spent on mobile devices surpassed time spent with TV screens. Obviously, eyeballs were migrating to mobile well before that. And I believe Axios uh, posted this a couple weeks ago. They got some Nielsen data and wrote that streaming has officially topped cable as the most popular method by which Americans consume television content, according to new data from Nielsen. So basically, like broadcast has been declining pretty strongly since October of 2021. It's down from 28% of TV consumption to 21%. Cable is down to like 34% of total TV consumption. And for the first time ever, streaming inched past it. And like those trends are only going in one direction. And this is the other problem though for this world is that doesn't mean that all the eyeballs are going to Peacock. Right, right, right. <laughs> you know, and like whatever NBC's like streaming entities are. <laughs> they're definitely not going to Peacock. Or CNN Plus, whatever that was going to be. It's like, they're just going everywhere. You know, like the warm light of the television in the living room that once dominated uh, American life is just not there anymore. And like moving Chuck Todd out of his job isn't going to fix that. Yeah. We're going to take a quick break. And when John and I come back, we're going to talk about how all of this is affecting CNN. Hey, Powers That Be listeners, I'm here to tell you that there's no reason to panic the next time you're searching for the perfect gift. Now you can use gift mode on Etsy. Gift mode on Etsy takes the stress out of gifting so you can find the perfect item for anyone and any occasion. It's easy. Just tap or click gift mode on your Etsy app or Etsy.com. Then answer a few short questions about who you're shopping for and what they like. And gift mode instantly gives you a curated list of gift ideas based on hundreds of personas. I use Etsy all the time and have for years. I bought my brother some artwork. I bought my wife some jewelry. I even bought a rug for our living room on Etsy. I love it. But there's a lot of pressure around gifting. I usually have a hard time thinking of gift ideas for friends and family members around the holidays or birthdays in my life. And sometimes I get super stressed trying to find the perfect thing. But now with gift mode on Etsy, I can search hundreds of gifting personas and find so many incredible items. And I actually just found the perfect gift for a buddy who's just as into Cincinnati sports as I am, a hot cup of Joe, Joe Burrow mug. That's right, I found that on Etsy, it's amazing. Now it's simple to find gifts made by independent sellers for all the people in your life. So whether you need a housewarming gift for the new homeowner or a birthday present for the pickleballer, Gift Mode has you covered. Need to find the perfect gift? Don't panic, try Gift Mode on Etsy now. Okay, so we're talking about the linear Big Bang. And one analogy actually popped into my head this morning, John, when I was thinking about this pod. I feel like we have been talking about the distant threat of climate change for a long time. You know, it's coming, it's coming, it's coming. And I feel like it's like here, like we can see it. Like Pakistan is underwater. Like here in California, we have like devastating wildfires. 
there's drought all over the world that's like drying up rivers and lakes and revealing like sunken Nazi ships and like <laughs> and like dinosaur bones and like <laughs> ancient Buddhist statues in China. It's like, oh, it's all around us. It's all around us. And I, I do feel like we've been talking about the death of TV for a long time as if it's like even even like six months ago as if it's like something that's about to happen. But the reason I really like Dylan's piece is like he just like pulls these threads together and it's like, oh, it's happening right now. The other part of his piece, not about NBC, was about CNN. What did he have to say about CNN's fate in, in the midst of all this? On the CNN side, it really does seem like they're playing sort of business Jenga now. You know, there's a line from, from Dylan's story where they're figuring out how many pieces can they poke out before the thing crumbles on itself. But one thing that's worth recalling here is that the carriage fees of cable have allowed this to be a very, very long decline process. And it'll, it'll extend the decline process because these cable operators do still want to be able to say that they have these networks like CNN and MSNBC on them, and there is recurring revenue built in there. But advertising has long moved to the internet, and we are now facing significant economic headwinds. And I think a lot of the downsizing you're seeing here isn't just people like David Zaslov and Chris, like managing debt and, and lower EBITDA projections, but also preparing for what's going to be a, a chilly couple of years in the sales business. But one thing that I was reminded of, in fact, actually after one of our episodes, I got a, an email from a significant media executive, now retired. And this person pointed out that Malone, John Malone, who's one of 13 board members at Warner Discovery, and one of the true like godfathers of cable, he was on the board of Turner when CNN was a small Atlanta-based news operation with news personalities that were largely anodyne and forgettable. And I, I say that um, as a fact, because I'm, I'm trying to think of their names. Now. I can picture a couple of them, but I can't actually recall their names. But it was serviceable, low wattage. It had a national and international utility. And to him, that's what it's going to become again. There's a business necessity for it that we've just sort of outlined here. And there's also a pragmatism to it. And the biggest resistance to this are the people who are participating in it. And that is... Um, one of the things that triggers me most about my memories of the magazine era. The transition would have been made more gracefully and maybe more smoothly and maybe in more innovative ways where new things were creative rather than successful things being taken away if some of the heroes that age, like you know the, the Jim Nelsons and Cindy Levies of the world and, and their others, didn't feel like things were being yanked from them. They wanted to keep doing what they were doing even if it was becoming less financially successful to do so. I give Chuck Todd a lot of credit for wanting to turn Meet the Press into a, a brand of its own, but there's really nothing in the marketplace to suggest that it should be. Like, what's a meet the press story, Peter? I, I don't know. And it's also already confusing. Like there are all these smaller brands within NBC News. Like what is meet the press? It's a show that our parents and grandparents watch that goes on Sunday where official Washington gives official interviews to clear things up or to, to read from their, their talking points. And that's what it is. And it's good at that. And it does set the agenda sometimes on Sundays, but it's lame. It's not going to get bigger. It's going to get smaller. I talked to Dylan about this so many months ago about Meet the Press um, and like made the point that I spent a lot of time just like looking at video clips like for research and for my show and all this stuff. And like NBC has all these different like fiefdoms within it, like Today Show, it's Meet totally, the Press, NBC Nightly God. News. And like they all have like different websites under like the NBC umbrella and like different branding. And it's like, to the average consumer, like just be NBC, you know, like they aren't like making definitive choices between like the Today Show and Meet the Press and NBC Nightly News and NBC Political Unit when they're on the internet, just call it NBC. One thing that also needs to be addressed though is 
CNN is always going to have a role to play in a variety of ways. Absolutely. Like CNN has, for example, the uh, institutional know-how to put on a presidential debate. And like they can do that. And it's like people make fun of TV news debates. Like these things are fucking hard to do. And I'm sorry, like random guy on Twitter, like you can't do that. It's like really hard. And like shout out to like Mark Preston at CNN who's been, been doing that for a bunch of cycles, like putting on those debates. But like, Russia invades Ukraine. Like who else is going to dispatch like a platoon of reporters and cameramen who have, who like right. went to war camp and have security training. So there's the TV side of things there that will be essential. But also, and this is where I'm interested to see what like Licht and Ryan Cadro do is there's a ton of reporting muscle there. And we talked about the Daily Wire in our, our last Media Monday. That's almost like the ideal of a media company at this point. You have a brand, it's distributed. There's not a lot of overhead. It's supported by subs and advertising. And like CNN has to like figure out how to take the reporting muscle that they have, all the reporters, talent, whatever, and like find ways to like reach consumers with it beyond just CNN.com and CNN TV, whatever that means. And I'm just interested to see where they go because like we make fun of CNN a lot, but like my old friend and mentor, Michelle Giacconi at CNN, she's like, imagine a world without CNN. Like, you know, like we do need it. It's been pretty dumb at some points. And I, I think it like took a bunch of hits in the last five years, but it needs to exist. I'm just like, they have to figure out a way to surf the waves and like create something new and different from what they have there. Yeah, that's an important point. I, I feel like whenever people criticize CNN, it is often exaggerated. Well, it's like someone took one tweet from a CNN reporter or like some dumb comment from a CNN pundit or like some idiot like Chris Cuomo segment and that goes viral. And like for a lot of people, that's their only touchstone yeah. with CNN. The clips of like Alex Marquardt in like a mass grave in the Donbass, that stuff isn't going viral in the same way, but like that's fucking legitimate hard reporting. And it's easy to sit on your ass and like type words from your desk in Washington, but like they do real shit. Um, I just wish they did more of it and less like punditing. And you'll be happy to know that, that that seems to be where it's headed. When I was younger, I remember um, my parents signed me up for Latin when I was a kid and I ended up studying it for 10 years because I was too late to make up for anything in, in French or Spanish. And I remember reading Cicero's orations, and there was a line about Rome, uh, late stage Rome, and they said, Rome must be shrunk to greatness. And I actually, I, I've thought of that a lot with CNN, that, that there is a better version of CNN that is smaller, that's more efficient, that has a budget only to cover the most important stories in the world with clarity and without opinion. And one of the things that's preventing CNN from doing that are a lot of the people who work at CNN right now. But at the end of the day, that that is absolutely unequivocally the vision that Malone and licked have for the place. And you just hope that they can get it there while making sure that a lot of the massive talent that is inside the building sticks around for it. One other thing too, we're talking about Brian and Harwood and we talked about Todd, who I think will, will be in that job as I think he wants to be there for, for the rest of his life. But when I think about like the similarities between the magazine era and this one, the people who got out earlier and on their own terms, people like Graydon, they were able to create next acts for themselves that were really, really successful and they saw something and it was important because it actually helped like move the industry in like the next direction. I hope that some of the people who maybe don't fit into this new vision, that they too help figure out the next thing because we're all sort of like trying to imagine what the end state is in this very long transition that we're in. And we're at the very, very, very beginning of it right now. And these are the talented people who made it in the old world. They should be the ones who determine what the new one looks like. Before I let you go celebrate the American labor movement <laughs> with your family, um, I just had a brain fart about CNN. Why don't they put Jake Tapper in the Cuomo spot? Jake is one guy who like, you know, was definitely a Zucker person, but 
was able to navigate the like fairness, like the good journalism, like he's pretty well respected. He's able to book Republicans and he wasn't doing like outlandish essays at the end of his show every night. Like he didn't veer that much into like the opinion, like a lot of his colleagues did. But I feel like unless you want some like high wattage entertainer, but I don't think CNN is going for that in primetime anymore. I think they just want like sober, serious news. I feel like he'd be a natural move. Yeah, I, I think um, I, Jake Tabbert for sure is the face of the Licked era. My hunch would be that 9 p.m. is going to become a pilot for a more conversational, multi-host format show that is not political. And I think that Tabbert's brand is obviously political. He, he does a, a, a pretty good job of, of being bipartisan. And I just have a sense that they're going to try and create an hour that is much more standard, old-fashioned news and isn't uh, overtly, like, you know, calling balls and strikes on the scrum in Washington. Yeah, that's true. I mean, if you have a daytime show, you can probably veer more into politics and prime time. Plus, you know, it's nice to go home and see your family and, like, turn off at 6 p.m. every day. Uh, you don't have to be on prime time. Man, it'll break my heart, Peter, when I find out they're trying to hire you for 9 p.m. and, and take you away from us. That will just, uh, oh, it'll break me. I would do 9 p.m. from the West Coast, but I do not. I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> not available. <laughs> John, enjoy the rest of the weekend, whatever's left of it. Hope you had a good one. All right, I'll see you tomorrow, buddy. Yes, see you tomorrow. Thanks so much for listening to another episode of The Powers That Be. As a reminder, The Powers That Be is the official podcast of Puck. We'd like to thank Ben Landy, Liz Goff, and Alex Bigler for their editorial and production guidance. If you like what you hear, please share with a friend. It really helps us keep delivering the inside scoop that only Puck can offer. Follow us on Twitter at Puck News. I'm Peter Hamby. See you tomorrow. This has been a presentation of Cadence 13 Studios. Please listen, rate, review, and follow all episodes wherever you get your podcasts. The Powers That Be Daily is executive produced by John Kelly, co-founder of Puck, and Chris Corcoran, chief content officer and founding partner of Cadence 13.